Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet Essentials. One device included. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the last Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast of 2016. It's been a major year. It's been a major year for wrestling. It's been a major year for me. It's been a major year for the show. And I'm just glad. I mean, I, I can I see the numbers, and more importantly, I hear from you guys on Twitter and other forms of social media. And when I go to wrestling shows on the street, whatever. Anytime I hear from you guys who listen to the podcast regularly, I just I love it. I love seeing the audience grow. I love seeing what you guys are into, hearing what you guys are not into. Just just watching this thing expand from something that I mean, I I feel like we all created it right because I sat here in my living room and recorded the podcast but it's you guys that created it into this thing right you guys are the ones that give it life like if there's no audience then WWE is not sending talent to sit at Caroline's they're not sending Kevin Owens and Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson to Caroline's so that they can sit in the room with me by myself and talk to them no, it's because they know that there's an audience behind this thing. They're not, you know, giving me a spot at Radio Row at WrestleMania to get a ton of interviews so that nobody can hear them. They're doing it because they understand what we've all kind of created here, which is this amazing community of wrestling fans that still enjoy wrestling. So it's so much fun doing this every week and and doing it all of 2016. Some amazing guests have come through. We've hit on some really fun topics in State of Wrestling. Just, it's a good time, and I'm really looking forward to continuing to do it all throughout 2017 and beyond. I hope everybody had a good uh, Christmas or is in the process of having a good Hanukkah or whatever. I don't know. I hope the holidays have been good for everybody. I hope, even if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope December 25th was still a good day. You know what I mean? I hope everybody had a good Christmas day. Regardless of if you were celebrating or not, I'm not trying to be polarizing here. I just hope that like that day was a good day for me, so I hope it was a good day for you. Um, I do enjoy some of you guys tweet me photos and, st- and Facebook me photos at not Sam on both of your like of, of the wrestling hall that you guys get for Christmas, which I always enjoy. I, I love seeing other people's wrestling merchandise, probably because I have so much and it makes me feel better about it, but. I, I always love seeing that. I got. Uh, I would love it actually. Maybe you guys can help me with my wrestling collection because my wife, who is really her main job in my relationship, is trying to silence Lila Garrity while I'm recording the podcast because otherwise you guys are going to be complaining to me about squeak toy no- noises. But she was able to get me uh, a boot cover. That was used. I know what's a boot cover. A boot cover that was used by Macho Man Randy Savage. You have to be a real wrestling geek to feel the way that I felt about that gift. Like, oh my God, how does she know me so well? This is perfect. How? How? You know, it's like a it's like a, a leather thing 
that was cut into like strands that he put over his boots and it's black and it's obviously from like 93 94 because it has the WWF unbelievable logo printed on it remember when they were running those commercials it was it was after Hogan it was right before the new generation became the tagline it was just WWF unbelievable and that word and the font and everything if anyone has a photo I know he had uh, like an outfit. It was black and like white and silver and he had a jacket and tights and everything that matched this boot cover, obviously. And a second boot cover probably too that said WWF Unbelievable all over it. I'm kind of slowly scanning through episodes of Monday Night Raw when Macho Man was still doing commentary to see if I can find the outfit. Like I remember the outfit in my head. I'm sure he probably like worked on a commercial or whatever it was, but I haven't found picture or video of the outfit. So if any of you do, and you can see the boot cover on my social, but if any of you do, send it over because uh, it's so cool. I just feel like that stuff, it's just history. It's a really cool piece of history to have. So uh, it was a good Christmas is what I'm trying to tell you. It was a very good Christmas. Uh, It's been a good year. It's been a really good year for wrestling. It's been an interesting year. Uh, you can have the conversation. I would say that the WWF roster in terms of talent could be at an all-time high. You've basically gone through the independent scene in the world of wrestling and put together a who's who and put them under Vince McMahon's umbrella, whether that be WWE, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, 205 Live, they're all do at some point in the year, maybe not under contract, but you had Zack Sabre Jr. wrestling for Vince McMahon. But you look around and it's like you've got Tyler Black, Kevin Steen, El Generico, Shinsuke Nakamura, AJ Styles, Prince Devitt, the entire Bullet Club, Carl, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, like everyone. Brock Lesnar is there. You know, everybody, and not even start on the women's division, Asuka, Sasha, Charlotte, Becky, Bailey, and everybody's got these, like, Natty even has a prime spot now. Uh, In terms of talent, Brock Lesnar is still doing what Brock Lesnar does. Jericho is having the moment of his career, which nobody expected. New monsters are being built like Luke Harper and Braun Strowman. And there's even something positive happening with the Wyatt family. It's been amazing in terms of talent. I still think storyline-wise, towards the end of the year, it feels like things have been moving in a positive direction. Um, I don't know if they're simply overwhelmed by all the talent they have and don't know what to do with it. Maybe there are people in WWF that don't even read... WWF. I was thinking about that Macho Man boot cover. WWE that don't even realize the talent that they have and what they're capable of. I don't exactly know what the explanation is for it, but I think we have only just begun to tap into the source that is the talent that is available to WWE right now. Um, But in talking, I didn't want to sit here. I wanted to spend some time on the podcast outside of the state of wrestling reviewing what 2016 was for WWE, for wrestling, however you want to phrase it. Uh, So I decided that I would do it with my friend Wade Keller. Of course, you know Wade Keller from the Pro Wrestling Torch. Uh, He's been on this podcast 
I think three or four times now. Uh, I really enjoy talking wrestling with Wade Keller. I love his opinions. Uh, I think he's interesting. And anytime I have a conversation with him, I feel like it could go on for hours and hours and hours. So, in lieu of a traditional interview interview, I thought I would sit down and spend some time with Wade Keller recapping what was 2016 for pro wrestling uh, and share that with you. So why don't we do that now? Here it is. The interview of the week is is talking 2016 with Wade Keller. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, as we reach the end of 2016, I wanted to, I don't know, kind of do a recap podcast, recap conversation of everything that happened this year in wrestling because I think a lot happened. Uh, And I thought, who better to have that conversation with than Wade Keller? Wade, how's it going? It's going great. Good to talk to you again, Sam. You too, man. And of course, everybody knows you from Pro Wrestling Torch and PWTorch.com and all the live casts that you do every day and just the the uh, egads and egads of content that you push out there on a regular basis, which is all awesome stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, egads. That's a good word. <laughs> So <laughs> I like it. I was thinking, you know, as I spent the last few days thinking about like 2016 and like kind of the important marks in the year. To me, I feel like wrestling and WWE especially kind of opened up a lot this year, and not just with the cruiserweight classic and 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 the use of of indie talent. Well, I guess a little bit of that use, but to me, I feel like. Watching the careers of two guys kind of symbolized everything in 2016, which is AJ Styles and watching him come out of this world that traditionally, and even yeah, a year and a half ago, WWE wouldn't have touched. Watching him have this amazing year that has him ending 2016 as the WWE champion, and then at the same time seeing Cody Rhodes have the year that he's had where normally a guy who is kind of born and bred WWE has not had any wrestling experience really outside of WWE, doesn't go on to become an indie darling, if that's the term you want to use. And that's exactly what's happened with Cody Rhodes, uh, watching him kind of end 2016 with this culmination of him about to become kind of a big part of the New Japan show on January 4th and and a member of the Bullet Club and the whole thing. Uh, What do you think of the way the landscape kind of looks based on that in going into 2017? Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating because when you talk about AJ Styles, it feels like he's been in WWE longer. Yeah. Uh, It's striking um, that, you know, this, this wasn't a foregone conclusion a year ago. Uh, he's had an amazing year, and and I, I mean, you know, there's so much comes at comes at us so fast. There's just so little time for reflection. I feel that way about pop culture, about politics, about life. It's just bang, bang, bang. And AJ Styles' year, when you look back at it, there was a time within the month or two of his arrival where people were wondering, is this going to go well? Yeah. And now at the end of the year, he's a leading contender for MVP. I mean, where would the roster split be without AJ Styles? and the credibility and the presence and the match quality and, yes, the promo quality that he's delivered since the roster split. 
I, I mean, mean, honestly, can you imagine SmackDown without AJ Styles? I, I, I can't. So he, he's really – he has established himself as somebody who all his traits that were seen as, well, they work in TNA or they work in Japan, but not really WWE. He's adapted, and WWE's adapted to him. I, I'm really uh, – I won't say shocked or surprised, but pleased that things have ended up on, uh, on, on the good end of things for AJ Styles and his fans and That's- his new fans. Especially the way you look at it, right? Like, Chris Jericho certainly has had, arguably, the, between this and 2009, one of these two years were the best in Chris Jericho's entire career. But that wasn't the case at WrestleMania. At WrestleMania, Chris Jericho, like, he was cool to see, but he certainly wasn't on the run that he's on now. And to see AJ Styles lose to Chris Jericho clean at WrestleMania, I think the feeling that a lot of us fans had was that WWE is kind of, they're not on the AJ Styles bandwagon. Like, they see this guy as a guy that, yeah, we can put him on WrestleMania, and and sure, we can advertise that he'll be here and he'll be a draw, but he's the guy that Chris Jericho beats when Chris Jericho doesn't even have that much going on. To see him go from that, and I guess a lot of it is because of the roster split, to come around and be this guy that, you know, we're we're looking at the Royal Rumble thinking, uh, no, there's there's a good chance that AJ Styles will beat John Cena. You know, that, that that's a conversation to have. It's not a foregone conclusion. It's kind of remarkable. Uh, it absolutely is. I mean, uh, bringing up Chris Jericho and, and AJ Styles at WrestleMania, WrestleMania isn't always the best platform to find out what kind of year you're going to have as a wrestler because so many big other so many other big-name stars occupy top spots on the WrestleMania card that, I, I mean, yes, I look forward to WrestleMania, and, and it's already in full-fledged speculation season. You know, I mean, what's going to happen at the Rumble? What did Cena say on SmackDown? That's going to affect what, what happens at the Rumble and therefore WrestleMania. I love all that, but I really love the post-WrestleMania season because of what we saw with Jericho, because of what we saw with Styles. When those special attraction stars leave, they need to make the best of what they have left standing of, of, of the bodies and the people who are willing to then and able then to go out every weekend and every week, Monday and Tuesday, and produce TV. And it, it's, it's been a, a really fun year to watch in that regard. I don't want to leave Cody Rhodes behind, though, because bringing him up as, is a, it's a great juxtaposition to AJ Styles because he's gone the other direction. Like you said, a guy exclusively a WWE product, grew up in the business, uh, certainly knows a lot more than WWE. I think there's some wrestlers his age and younger, who don't know anything but WWE, like a basketball fan knows the NBA, or pro football fan knows the NFL. Right. He just is pro wrestling. But Cody knows better. He grew up with uh, full understanding that there's a whole, whole other his- there's a whole history and a lot of other territories and promotions that uh, used to make up the fabric, and, and to a degree still do, but in a different way. So for him to go out on the indie scene, create that list with his beautifully manicured fingernails on that, on that <laughs> Instagram post. You know, so it just reminded me of his one of his many array of gimmicks in WWE. The, the well-groomed hand with the, I mean, oh, I wish I could still, I wish I could hand my handwriting was was that good. My to-do list was we, so much more inspirational. You know what I found out He's, when I interviewed yeah. him for my podcast, which which to me is a little thing and it's a little note, but it says a lot about how much Cody Rhodes realizes that this means is that his handwriting is terrible and he had Eden write the list for uh, him. That's why the handwriting well, was you, so You you know, you have shattered <laughs> you have shattered my image of Cody now. That's that list was a fraud. No, that actually is it's a that's a great 
point, um, a great fact, and, and it does show, you know, Cody wanted to make sure that his, uh, his aspirations uh, had the handwriting that was aspirational to match. Um, but, yeah, Cody going heel. I was really happy to see Cody go heel. I, I think that my favorite part, uh, uh, my favorite era of Cody was uh, in Legacy. I mean, I just thought there is, there is a, not a smugness, but a, a self-assuredness that's just kind of boils over the top with him. You know, good-looking guy, good athlete, uh, has the family pedigree, and he just carries himself in a certain way that I thought, you amp that up a little bit, as, and, and you, you wrestle as a heel, and I think he can really do well on the indie scene playing that role. I'm really looking forward to what he does next Wednesday in, in, in Japan um, on that show and how he carries himself in that atmosphere in front of that crowd. It's just a different culture and a different set of expectations for him. But so far in that, that, that ROH turn, um, I mean, so far so good. And, and I think he's better as a heel style-wise on the indie scene because he's a good, he's more than a good solid wrestler, but he's not spectacular. He's not flashy. And I think on the indie scene, he would have paled in comparison to some of the more flashy wrestlers. So I think having him as a heel gives him a chance to, to wrestle a style that fits his, his, uh, his moveset and his approach to, to matches better. And, and it's such a, a smart move because, like, it, it goes to him thinking, how does this work long term? Because in the beginning, the first six months, the first year, whatever it is, he's going to be able to create a buzz just being Cody Rhodes and being on the shows. But we are getting to the point where it's like, okay, we all know that Cody is out of WWE. And it's not this spectacle just to see him on a show anymore. So what does he do? He now creates this story that it's like now we're now we're drawn in by a character, not just by oh the WWE guy is going to be on the show, which is is crucial to long term success. Yes. outside of WWE. A- absolutely, especially if you're a WWE guy. And and granted, he he didn't get cut. Um, he he left. Uh, the perception was that he left on his own terms because he wanted to branch out, and he felt he was underutilized and. It's better to go out that way, but I, I like that he is establishing an identity that, that ties into WWE. It's not like Aaron Rex and TNA where there's just a sharp divorce. Right. This, this complete severance of everything that people liked about Damian Sandow, and now they're left with this empty vessel with, that's not all that interesting. Um, Cody's not that, but he is establishing his own uh, identity separate from WWE as an evolution and a continuation of what he did in WWE. His character now is drawing from that in a way that I think is working. I think, and you talk about evolution, and I was really just coming to terms with this over the last couple weeks, and I think a big part of this year for me has been what's become of John Cena in the sense that, mm-hmm. number one, I mean, I liked the before he left, he was making reference to the fact that he was not part of the new era and he was actually against the the new era. And the fact that he went on SmackDown last night and specifically said, this is not the new era, this is my place. And it's, it's almost like flirting with that bad guy, John Cena, that everybody has you know, wanted for so long without actually being a bad guy, which is kind of the direction you have to go in. But I think the evolution of John Cena in 2016 is – something where he finally has made that turn of superstardom. Not like superstar the way WWE uses it, but he is now in that conversation of guys that's almost separate from the roster. You know, that's 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 the super card match. That's the 
without putting him on the same level, that's The Undertaker and The Rock and the Brock Lesnars and those guys, where, and, and that's probably a lot because of the mainstream Hollywood work he did this year, but I think it's just the way that he carries himself now, and it's the presence that he has that the audience, I think, has also agreed that, yes, he is this separate entity, and you can hear that even when he's getting booed. It's not Rome. It doesn't sound like Roman Reigns getting booed. It doesn't feel like Roman Reigns getting booed. No. It's almost like we're happy that we get to boo him again. Because if you look out in the audience, you can see people's faces. Like it is like, oh my God, John Cena is here. He's finally hit that level of the Hulk Hogan of this era. I think. I think for the first time, really this year. Well, when you look back at Cena first dropping Rock's name as a dream match when Rock was big in Hollywood and Cena was the guy getting booed and having, you know, better matches, maybe underrated matches, but, you know, people said, oh, but he's being carried. And, and you know, this is the post-attitude era, and I, the post-attitude era hangover was long, and yeah. Cena inherited it. And it, it worked to his detriment uh, in certain ways. In other ways, it set the bar kind of low because, well, I don't know, that's maybe not the right way to put it. But he now – it does. It, it took him holding his own with The Rock, and there was, I think, a transformational moment. Rock did the promo, threw out, made fun of Cena merchandise, threw it into, the, threw it into the, the, the bay, and then Cena came back the next week, and I think out-talked Rock um, uh, in his rebuttal, and I wasn't expecting that. I watched Rock. My jaw was dropped. I was like, this is just going to be one-sided. Cena held his own, more than held his own. Um, I thought he out-dueled Rock verbally and brought it. And I thought, okay, he just showed he belongs. And now after the Rock feud, people look at Cena as a guy who belonged in the ring with the Rock. And that wasn't a foregone conclusion a couple years earlier by any means when Cena first dropped his name. So that, I think, moved him to another level. I think Steve Austin on Steve's podcast telling John, you have established yourself as one of the great all-time champions due to duration and success. I thought that was a big moment because I wouldn't call it passing of the torch, but for Austin to endorse Cena in that way, I think had, had an effect uh, in that it wasn't the highest profile moment, but it was a high profile moment. And, and you're right, now hosting the Today Show, doing, uh, having a, a movie, significant movie roles uh, that aren't just WWE films, you know, in-house productions, and SNL, I thought was a big moment. Yeah. And Cena carries that with him. He owns the room. He knows he has transcended WWE stardom. And he is at that level, and, and I think this was the year, and, and perhaps SmackDown this week was the moment when he came back, and as you said, the crowd took great joy in playing along, because the, this is a generation of fans who either don't remember the Attitude Era, so they don't compare Cena unfavorably to it, or they grew up with Cena booing him, but now other guys like Roman Reigns have come along, and Cena's a guy who's earned their respect, and They've grown up with him, and they're willing to embrace him now. A lot of that happened with Hogan, too. You know, in the Nitro era, fans were into Hogan who were kids growing up, and they were into him in a different way. And I think that might be what's happening with Cena, too, as fans grow up and they had the merchandise as kids and adolescents, and now there's a nostalgia factor to his appearances, too. Plus, he's final thing is, he's just really good on the microphone. I mean, yeah. he is so he owned that room in Chicago, and, and he doesn't miss a beat. And then at the end of the show, opposite of AJ Styles, he, he carried himself like a star, but he didn't diminish Styles in the process. And I, I, that, is, that is a craft that Stephanie McMahon, for instance, has yet to even 
touch on, which is how do you walk out of the ring leaving both yourself and the person you were opposite stronger? And, and Cena did that with Styles, and Styles held his own really well too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right about Stephanie. Like she has, I thought Stephanie was great on Raw this week in her moment where she kind of uh, uh, took the air out of the CM Punk <laughs> chance because that's not an easy thing to do. Like I, th- but right. but you're right about the fact that she is not great at making the other party look as good as she is. Yeah, she's really good yep. at, at, at the other way. Now, speaking of, uh, of of things kind of evolving and things like that, I thought 2016 was a big year for NXT in the sense that, and I don't know if this is just the way it has to happen because of that class, but like the the twenty the, the 2015 class, you could call it, that came out of there with your uh, starting well, well with you it was Kevin Owens it was Sami Zayn it was Finn Balor it was all these guys so you had your your Shield and Wyatt family class then you had your Kevin Owens Finn Balor Sami Zayn like all these guys that were the it wrestlers of coming in to WWE and it feels to me like NXT has shifted this year as no longer really being about being a developmental territory. And being more of just a secondary brand, almost to show like, okay, if you don't think Monday Night Raw and SmackDown are cool, we've got this cool wrestling show that's a touring brand over here as well. Whereas a year ago, it was, this is what's coming next. Now I don't, I don't get that vibe from NXT anymore at all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good and bad. I mean, it's, it, it just sort of is. I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's great. It's, it is an evolution. And it, WWE Network makes it, makes it more of a positive in the sense that, I, and, and this is part of what you're saying, but I, I think another big story of 2016 that ties into what NXT has become is this, this uh, segmentation or diversification of WWE's portfolio mm-hmm. for what they're doing to attract fans. That the, the, uh, the announcement of of the uh, United Kingdom brand and title, uh, the uh, Cruiserweight Classic, the continuation of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, uh, the NXT Takeover becoming a, a quarterly staple uh, built around big weekends, NXT not being seen as a developmental territory where you see green guys and green women try to figure out what to do and uh, and spend a few years and then they show up in the main roster with the push. There's still some of that going on. But, you know, Dash and Dawson or DIY or a little bit of each of that. But with, when you have Shinsuke and Joe and Rude and Aries, um, uh, Asuka, I mean, you, you have just a, a core main event veteran crew that could just easily take over SmackDown. Like, they could all just jump to SmackDown and nobody would go, oh, this is a bunch of young, guy, young, young, young wrestlers trying to figure things out. You'd just be like, no, they're ready. Um, and again, I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, I, I think NXT's identity should still should still try to be. This is where people figure out who they're going to be, and you get to watch it happen. But you do need to have some veteran anchors, Robert Root types, to help carry that, carry them, um, or a Chris Hero type. You know, and it, you, you want to have veterans to help show the young the young uh, talent the way. So I'm st- I'm not sure where a year from now we're going to be with NXT, but I think it is important to have WWE Network as a place for, to monetize what NXT has become. Instead of being a money-losing minor league system that is there to build stars, it's become 
an attraction for network subscribers who, as you said, Sam, might not like what Raw and SmackDown are offering, but they stay network subscribers because of this diverse portfolio of different, different uh, uh, products right now. All under all under the WWE Network logo. Yeah, I think there is a fantasy. I don't know that it's fully realized yet, but I think there is this fantasy that there could be network subscribers that don't watch Raw and SmackDown. Meaning, I think that you do have some network subscribers now that liked WWE when they were growing up, and they kind of subscribe to the network the way you subscribe to Netflix, and they watch like old wrestling and old episodes of Raw and old pay-per-views. I think there are some. Not a huge amount, but I think there are some. Uh, I think that that is the goal. What you just said is that there's this goal of having an audience that maybe just tunes in for things like NXT and 205 Live, and if they turn something, if they turn this UK tournament into a weekly show like they're talking about doing, that maybe there will be fans that just tune in for that. I don't know that they're necessarily will be, but I think you're right in that that's, that's pretty obviously the goal. And, and I think they just sort of stumbled upon it. I don't think it was part of a master plan. Right. Uh, just NXT got popular enough, and Vince McMahon said, oh, then said, yeah, we're, we're throwing this you know, former FCW-syndicated show that was in Florida on the network. Why not? It was also on Hulu, you know, whatever. Give a little extra. And now it's become like this centerpiece that they advertise on Raw and SmackDown. You know, watch the watch NXT's first show in Japan with a loaded lineup. And yeah, it has it has become a selling point for the network. And and that's a good thing. I mean I think the network needs it. I, I think if if NXT did not exist, I, I think subscriptions would be lower. I mean I think there is yeah. something about when you get the network you get this portfolio of diverse wrestling products and clearly with the tag tournament the cruiserweight division 205 live um and heck even the doc shows you know talking smack i mean they're 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 doing supplements to run smackdown but they're also doing shows that are in their own universe which is what I, I was talking and it's interesting it's not a, a this year thing so i don't want to really talk too much about it but it's funny that when the network first came out if you remember what did they do to test the live stream was a takeover special. The first takeover yeah. was it was a test to see if they could actually pull off a live pay per view on the network at all. Um, but I, I want to talk about a, a couple of I feel like returns that had the potential to be bigger that I think didn't get to where they could have gotten in 2016. The first is the Seth Rollins comeback, and I think that that may have to do with storytelling in terms of him maybe going bad guy, good guy at the wrong times throughout the year. Because I just, I think in the moment when he was injured and he was gone, we missed Seth Rollins tremendously. And when he came back, it was enormous. And I feel like that lost a lot more steam than it should have. And I also... And, and and you could talk about him individually, I think that Shane McMahon's return was a huge story. I mean, probably it had the potential when it first happened to be the biggest story, storyline-wise, of 2016, just because you that was one people thought was never going to happen. Uh, and I think maybe because after WrestleMania, it really didn't have a ton behind it. You never really got to the bottom of what... Shane was holding over Vince's head. It was just kind of this vehicle that brought us into the uh, brand split that Shane McMahon, as a returning on-camera 
thing, entity, I don't think ever got utilized because it became normalized so quickly, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it totally does. I mean, Shane went from, oh, he's here. This is a special rare attraction uh, appearance of a guy that I remember from, you know, 15 years ago. And he's a McMahon, and this is a big deal. And when he shows up, it counts. And, you know, we said the same thing about Vince McMahon. There was a time where, you know, it, it feels like so long ago now, but where Vince would come out on TV every week and carry a talking segment, and he would lament it backstage. Like, I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish we had people who could carry these segments. And, you know, he didn't have a lot of great talkers at that point who he had confidence in who also had some star power to go along with them. And, and we saw too much Vince, and it got watered down. Now when you hear Vince's music, you know it's going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And with Shane, it, it did quickly like normalize. It just he became another guy. He was just one of the. I mean, he, it it didn't help that he essentially had the role that you know Teddy Long and Vicky Guerrero and uh, uh, you know God, I can't even think of that one guy who was looks like Eric, a young Eric Bischoff, and now I've forgotten his name. Um, just you know, just Brad the guy Maddox. hanging out. Thank you. Yes, Brad yes. Maddox. Yes, you know, he just he was in a role that wasn't. All that prestigious, and granted, I mean, he got a new title. It, it had a new, more prestigious name, and he's playing off of Daniel Bryan. And I mean, it's not quite that low, but yeah, it was sort of like, oh yeah, Shane will come on and make some relatively mundane, forgettable announcement, and yeah, that that specialness disappeared, and that hurt. Seth is the biggest disappointment of the year um, because I mean, I, I was there at Extreme Rules in, in New Jersey for that pop that he got when he ran out when everyone thought the pay per view was over, yeah. and then he came out, and it was just. I mean that was that is a that is not a pop that you hear more than a half a dozen times in WWE in a year. If in a good year you might hear it a half a dozen times. That crowd was so excited to see him and you know it was rebuilt and he was ready to go and that inspirational video they put together seemed to frame him as a babyface and then they miscast him. And that opportunity was lost. And so when he was still the whiny, you know, old Seth Rollins that he hadn't changed during his time off it, it, the, they couldn't recreate that when Finn Balor went down, and they and they sort of turned Seth, and then the way they turned him, oh Stephanie doesn't want me anymore, Triple H doesn't want me anymore. Why not? Why did you pick Kevin Owens over me? And it was like we're supposed to cheer a guy because he wants to still be with the authority, but they rejected him. And how does that make him heroic and worth cheering? It was like the most bungled <laughs> babyface turn you could have. There needed to be that one singular wow moment you know that that fans wanted Damian Sando to do with Miz I've had enough I'm fed up and I'm turning on you like that was built up in a similar way it was built up with Seth turn on the authority and they turned on him yeah and I just think it took the steam out of out of what he stood for you know I was talking to Steve Austin about that and he asked me what is Seth Rollins what is Seth Rollins tell me about him and and there is nothing you know Seth freaking Rollins doesn't even say anything. I don't know what he stands for. I don't know what he's about. It's, there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing to his character. You and still don't trust I just him. Think terribly. No, yeah, you don't trust him. You're not sure you like him. There's other guys who are more flashy. Um, you respect him. He's a good worker, but he was the workhorse before his injury. I mean, he was he was so good as a heel, and and I enjoyed the hell out of him. But it, it when he was away for a while and he came back, that was the moment, and they lost it. And I, I don't know what you do to fix him right now because I don't think teasing a Shield reunion, I don't think Seth is over enough to help carry Roman as a baby face. Like I don't think fans are saying, well, the ones who don't like Roman, you know, the guys and all that. I, I don't think they're going, well, if, if Seth likes Roman, then I will. Like Seth's not over in that way. Yeah, it, it was. It was I, 
it was very telling, and this was towards the end of the year, when, like, a couple of times when the Shield reunion was happening, Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho as best friends is more exciting to the live audiences and to TV audiences and everything. The idea that somebody could be put on the list is more exciting than Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns reforming. Absolutely, and and even Dean Ambrose in that teaser. I mean, I know the fans pop for it because everybody wants to be there for a moment. You know, you go yeah. you go to Raw, and you hope you got a memory you can share, and I get that. But I don't think like there's this clamoring for oh yeah the Shield because people see Roman Reigns differently, see, people see Seth differently, and I actually think there's sort of an affection for what Dean Ambrose has become, and it's so different than the the guy who 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 had that sinister promo style in the Shield, and you're just thinking. This is a guy I wouldn't want to cross, you know, in a dark alley, or I'd want him on my side, and he's sinister and, and dangerous. You know, now he's kind of the, the zany, you know, uh, fringe lunatic, and, and it's just it, it's a different character than what he played in The Shield, and I don't even think it feels right anymore to have Dean and Seth and Roman together. I, I don't think, I think people would think Dean would have to break character to play that role again. Do you think, speaking of, of Steve Austin, and, and you talked about, John Cena being on his podcast and that being a moment. In 2016, Dean Ambrose did the Network podcast mm-hmm. with Steve Austin, and I think that it did not work out well for Dean Ambrose uh, at all. Uh, do you? How much damage, especially because that was more exposed, it was on the network. It wasn't even just like a Steve Austin show podcast. It was a WWE Network special. How much do you think that damaged him as he was the champion at that point? I think it was a lost opportunity, but I don't know that it damaged him. And, and, and let me explain, because I think that what he had in that Austin podcast was a chance to establish himself in a way that would have elevated him in the eyes of the, the Bellwether fans, the ones who, who are the leading indicators of whether somebody's going to get over or not. They're the ones who are watching that kind of podcast. They're the ones who are buying tickets at tapings. They're the ones who cheer you or are apathetic or boo you. And he had a chance to win over those fans and get them enthusiastic about him as a centerpiece of SmackDown. And so it was a lost opportunity. I don't think he came out of it worse than he went in, because I don't think he went into it as a centerpiece on top act. But I, I look at it as a lost opportunity, because people have an affection for Steve Austin, and Ambrose came off as aloof, not serious, and perhaps disrespectful, if not little... Uh, uh, um, airheaded, <laughs> um, he was flighty. It just he wasn't all there, and and I think people weren't used to seeing an extended version of who Dean can be and is in real life in that way. So I think it just kind of defined him down a little bit. Um, so I don't think it damaged him, but I think it put a little more of a ceiling on him and and took away an opportunity because I think Steve and Steve talked about this on my. PW Torch Livecast when he was on a month or so ago. We talked about this at, at a decent length. You know that, that it, it did seem like a lost opportunity for Ambrose when you have that platform, and and you act like somebody you know pulled you out of the middle of a movie you were really into and made you sit there for an hour and answer questions. Yeah, yeah, and it certainly he certainly lost the opportunity that John Cena gained, you know, earlier, mm. uh, uh, which we yeah, talked about. Yeah, that's true. Um, a- absolutely. Yeah. What do you think? I, I feel like the the story to come out of TNA in 2016 is the fact that somehow the company is it is still in existence, that it's still afloat, and there are still TV shows, and it's still 
a place where people wrestle like it is it still exists and I feel like we end up saying this every year but 2016 more than any other year it is it not almost bizarre that after every report and legal thing and everything that we've read that TNA is still kind of there Yes. I mean, you would hope after 14 years that that story of the year for the company, 12 out of 14 years, has been TNA survives yeah. 2-0-X-X. <laughs> it's like, that's the story. I mean, there was the year Hogan and Bischoff signed, and, and they went live up against Raw. Um, there was that that year. And there was probably one other year where there was like a bigger story than, oh, my God, TNA survives. But you want to be known for more than that, you know? And, I mean... It's fine. It's good. They're, you know, it, I think they had a, a, a solid year on television. It didn't feel like must-watch TV, but I don't think people ever watched the show and were disappointed. Like, oh God, that was frustrating. And I think there were, you know, hair-pulling, maddening moment episodes a lot more often. Just about every other year, other than this year, I thought this was good in that sense. I think it just kind of found a rhythm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, what is the big? St- I mean, well. In, to credit, I, I'll say this: I, I think that uh, total nonstop deletion, broken Matt Hardy, is it competes with TNA survived as as TNA's top story of the year. In fairness, because that was, uh, I think, a a moment that five years from now people are going to look back on and go, ah, 2016 is the year Matt Hardy reinvented himself. Yeah, yeah, I think not only is that true that like somehow Matt Hardy was able to find this thing where he uh, even to say he comes back to relevance is an understatement because I, he's, I feel like doing things that if, if he did something this big in WWE, he'd be the biggest star in the world. You know, I mean, that's, that's how important the fact that he was able to figure something out that made it say, yeah, it's TNA, but there's this, like we, it's been so long since there's been a, but there's this, that, that I think that that, that speaks by itself, uh, volumes. Yeah, no, no, it does. I mean, it, 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 it is the most unpredictable moment of the year. You know, we can say, oh, Shane coming back was the most unpredictable moment of the year. I mean, they're, they're the most shocking moment or unpredictable moment. I just, I just think Matt Hardy reinventing himself with this outlandish, hard-to-explain, over-the-top, otherworldly character it, 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 I mean, knowing Matt Hardy as I do, I'm not surprised by it. I mean, I, there's right. this, there were even little indications of it with uh, Matt Hardy 2.0 on SmackDown. I remember, you know, Stephanie, hearing Stephanie didn't get it. You know, I don't get it. It's like, that's because you don't have this, that kind of sense of humor. But, you know, the Matt facts and the, the way that Matt presents. He's always thinking of, of what, and always has been, and he's frustrated when he can't. I think Cody wrote the same way. He wants to think, how can I present myself in a different way? How can I tap into this slice of, of what wrestling fans are looking for and, and serve that segment and then grow it? And, and he had creative freedom, unlike any other time, along with a national platform, such as Pop TV is, but it is, and Fight Network. He's able to create this whole other, other character. That is, it's a, I mean, you think back of where he was at the beginning of the year in TNA and the character that he played, and it's like, all right. Yeah, you know, remember you from the Attitude Era. It's cool, Matt. You know, seeing, you know, you're Jeff's brother, and he was still Jeff's brother. And I think he's, I think, and it's, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Jeff is now Matt's brother. I think that's right. Matt Hardy is uh, by far this year a bigger star, and and deservedly yeah. so. What to you is the big story here? To me, because 
I like you. The times I've spoken to Matt, and I know Matt, you know, a little bit, but I know him well enough to know that he loves wrestling. And so the idea yeah. that this would come, this would spawn from Matt Hardy, that that when left to his own devices, he'd be able to come up with something pretty brilliant. That doesn't shock me. Like the, I, I have pretty high expectations of Matt's abilities. Yeah. I think for it to happen at this point in his career, you could classify as shocking uh, in a good and very very positive way. But I think that the biggest story is that one of the hottest storylines in wrestling came out of TNA. Even bigger than so. So I feel like there's there's two perspectives to look at it from. One perspective is it's 2016 and Matt Hardy reinvented himself in arguably the biggest way he's ever done. The other perspective is one of the hottest wrestling storylines right now came out of TNA in 2016. And for me, the bigger shock is the latter, is that it came from TNA more so than that it came from Matt Hardy. And, and for there to be a TNA act born and raised in TNA that could pop up on a big screen at ROH Final Battle yeah. in Manhattan yes. and get the pop that it got, you know, this isn't an act that TNA brought in. It's an act born in TNA. And, I mean, that's, that's part of the branding that, that TNA needed. It hasn't made a big difference in the ratings. I mean, let's not overstate it. I mean, this is, it, you know, broke, it's, it's creatively cool, and it, it's absolutely a net positive. But it's not like it, it added, you know, a, a permanent 40% to the ratings like, you know, Steve Austin's rise in WWE or the WWF did at, at the beginning of the Attitude Era. It's, it's not that kind of difference maker. But... Uh, still, it, it, it is clearly, I mean, you look at the YouTube hits, the social media, um, it, it, if TNA can find a way in 2017 to further capitalize on Broken Matt Hardy, th- that is, I think, their best avenue to growth. And they, they, it's just a matter of kind of getting their ownership and their structure stabilized and, and figure out how to do that, because that more than anything else, and, you know, with all due respect to EC3 and Aaron Rex and, and uh, Eddie Edwards and stuff, I mean, Broken Matt is is their key to getting new eyeballs to that show. Yeah, and I think that I think that the reaction that he got at a at the Ring of Honor show can't be understated. The TNA has never had that kind of credibility with wrestling fans. So so if they if they that has to be something that they figure out how to capitalize in a way that they can get eyeballs on their show. Um I think if we have to for me if we're if we're ending on what was the biggest success in this world of wrestling in 2016, I've got to say it's the brand extension. And we've seen the brand split happen a few times in history. And I think that that this, the last however many months, six months, I guess, has been probably the most effective that the brand split has ever been. And I know that, you know, you had your, your SmackDown 6 and it built a lot of stars and, and that. But I think that... Uh, there's such a few uh, there's a, a real small handful of people that have not benefited from this and that's like maybe Sami Zayn, Apollo Crews, but the huge number of people that have benefited from the brand split and I think that's the intention of it at the end of the day uh is is pretty outstanding. So for me, I think the brand split is probably the thing that went right the best in 2016 I'm I'm a big I'm a big advocate for the brand split for the roster split I think that giving people a reason to watch both Raw and Smackdown instead of having Smackdown just feel like warmed over leftovers yeah. to Raw 
it is made I, I mean, it's, it's given me a destination program to watch and cover and, and more to talk about and a whole separate roster and a dynamic for my job. Um, I'm happy about it. I, I look forward to watching SmackDown Live more than I look forward to watching it taped, and I look forward to it more because it's the only way I can see John Cena um, or AJ Styles or Baron Corbin and on and on. I like all of that, and I'm an advocate for it. There's some drawbacks that come with it, and those currently – I'm not willing to give an A grade to the brand split because I don't think that they've done a good enough job with the Apollo Crews types. The building new stars in preparation for when the basic, like, it's like a four-person dance where they're just exchanging partners sometimes. Oh, uh, Dean Ambrose against AJ. Now Dean Ambrose against Miz. Dolph Ziggler against Miz. Now Dolph Ziggler against AJ. They don't have enough depth. And and I would give them a, 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 a not quite a failing grade, but a, a very disappointing grade in terms of Looking ahead, and this was like the big problem with Nitro and WCW, you know, when they had so many hot acts, they didn't use those hot acts to get the next, gener- the next up-and-coming acts over, and that had a lot to do with guaranteed contracts and a lack of leadership and politics and all that. That's not all going on here. It's even less excusable. It's just Vince McMahon not looking at, okay, three months from now, these six guys are going to have fought each other so many times. Who <laughs> are we going to warm up on the back burner so that when we need him, fans will say, oh, yeah, it's his time. I've been waiting a month or two for this guy to get an opportunity. And that undercurrent isn't there. And I think they need that's, – that's what I hope they do to improve in 2017. Because the roster split has – I've really enjoyed it. And I think there's a lot of positives that have come out of it for individual talent. I'm worried about the incestuousness of the, of the lack of depth on the roster – and if that's going to eventually hurt a Seth Rollins when he doesn't have enough new people to interact with. Um, do they end up stretching storylines and feuds out too long because they don't feel that they've gotten anybody else ready? So that's my main concern. And so I'm a, I'm, I think it's a, for me it's a little premature to say it's a huge success, even though I'm one of the biggest advocates for it, because I'm nervous about what do they do when they extinguish the first two opponents for each top wrestler on both shows, what have they gotten themselves, you know, have they prepared for that, that next step? So I, I, I go into 2017 a little nervous, but absolutely positively endorsing the move. And like you said, I think a, a lot of people have benefited from it, uh, or a handful of people have benefited greatly from it. Um, and, you know, just what happened this week with Baron Corbin, you know, being in that yeah. mix and looking like he belongs is an example of, of that, and, you know, the, the, the uh, American Alpha hopefully will be next. But they're an example. Like American Alpha, they should have been doing more to build a foundation for fans to look at them as they're the future champions, they're the future centerpiece of this division. And then there's been disappointments like the Usos. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened to them? You know, so I, it's, been a, it's been a mixed bag. But, like, overall, I mean, I, I'm absolutely positively, 100% unflinchingly po- uh, positive about them doing it and uh, some mixed feelings on the execution so far. Would, what or who do you think had the best 2016 then for you? Uh, AJ, uh, over AJ Styles. Yeah. 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 I mean, it didn't have to go this I, I think we look back and we go, it didn't have to go this well. And, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't inevitable. Uh, but I think the roster split actually helps AJ because it gave him – his own ecosystem to do his thing and not be defined down as a fourth from the top guy, which might have happened if, if Vince was playing with his fam- favorite six you know, action figures and, and AJ wasn't one of them. He was number seven. 
that that would have hurt. And I think being on SmackDown and having Del Rio flame out, having Cena uh, wrestle less than perhaps anticipated, it, it turned out not to. I'm trying to think who was one other person who was drafted to SmackDown who ended up not being a factor. Uh, but it, it, it cleared the way for AJ to really shine, and he did. So I'd say AJ probably had the best year and is set up for, I think, a really good 2017, even if he gets lost in the mix a little at Mania, which I hope he doesn't. But even if he does, if, if it's you know, about Goldberg and Lesnar and, and Triple H and Seth and, and uh, Strowman and Roman and Cena and Taker, whatever, you know, whatever all the big names are that kind of maybe push Cena down, or, uh, AJ down the card, I think post-Mania he's set up for a great final two-thirds. Of, of 2017, you know, going full circle back to what we talked about earlier about post WrestleMania season sometimes being more exciting uh, than uh, than WrestleMania season. But John Cena had a bad year and a good year. You know, I mean, I think he ended in a really good place, and, yeah. and he's got to be in the mix. Um, you know, Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, I mean, like Jericho. Uh, Jericho had a good year, although I, I he had. A, a, there's times where I totally agree, like this was one of his best years, and then there's other times where I think he's been kind of marginalized a little bit too much of a slapstick comedy figure who isn't being positioned as a serious wrestler anymore. He's the guy who entertains you, but are, do you take him seriously anymore as a wrestler you want to see fight in a meaningful match? Mm-hmm. And I think he's aware of that, and it's been a, a struggle because the list is so over, the dynamic of Kevin Owens is so over, but I don't know ultimately that it served Kevin Owens all that well in terms of being seen as a as a badass wrestler who's got an edge to him. Instead, he's just you know it's it's Joey and Chandler from Friends. You know, <laughs> right. oh, what's going to happen this week that entertains me? So I get worried that sometimes they catch onto something that works in a sports entertainment way, but doesn't serve building them up as main event acts that you want to see fight. And I think that still is where the big money is in wrestling. And I think WWE writers in their week to week grind sometimes lose sight of that. In uh, uh, it's hard to it's impossible to predict because um, I think that nobody would have gone into 2016 thinking that you know and and you could argue it but for me I think that probably in WWE at least Chris Jericho AJ Styles and The Miz probably had you could yes. argue had had some of their best years um, is there any Miz is in that conversation yes yes absolutely I, and and there's no way. That would have been a prediction. Do you have? Is there anybody you'd like to see? For me, going into 2017, I'm interested in looking at uh, uh, Finn Balor, Baron Corbin, um, and I guess those like I, I, those and Samoa Joe. Those are probably the three that I'd be most keen on on looking at in terms of having a pretty cool 2017. Is there anybody that any names that you're Aside from the guys that you just said, in terms of continuing, are there any newer names that that you think could make a big impact on twenty seventeen? Yeah, I'm curious where Finn Balor picks up. You know where he left off. I mean, it, it sounds like he'll probably pick up where he left off, which is good. Uh, and and if he has a, a nice match at WrestleMania and gets to do his you know big entrance, that's going to be a cool moment. Uh, Samoa Joe, I'm I'm nervous about, but but hope he has. Uh, a great main roster run. Uh, you didn't mention Shinsuke Nakamura, but if we're going to yes. talk about Joe, we got to talk about Shinsuke. I yeah, mean, you're right. I, I, 27, a year from now, we could be talking about the year of Shinsuke. He is still, and I know it's, it's sort of like, well, we've seen him now, you know, in NXT for a while. There's a little bit of a novelty that's not there anymore. Uh, oh, but then you just cue up the music and have him come out and, and you get the chills and, and the, the motions kick in. And then when he is in a, he, when he is in a big, 
on a big show in a big match against a really good opponent, you know, an AJ Styles level opponent, that is going to be uh, that's an opportunity that Shinsuke has to get himself over in a way with an audience that hasn't seen him. Somebody on Twitter just last night said, I'd never seen AJ until he came to WWE. I mean, there's people like that out wow. there, obviously, you know, who, and, and, and he's just catching up now, you know, on his work from TNA and ROH and New Japan. But he loves him in WWE. He'd heard of him. I mean, Steve Austin was even that way. Yeah. I mean, Steve Austin, you know, it's like, I mean, he did his thing in wrestling, and he, he's got his other interests and in reality show and hunting and keeps an eye on wrestling, but he wasn't watching TNA Impact or ordering ROH DVDs. So he had heard a lot about AJ, but didn't know a lot of his work, and he won him over. I, I just wonder if Shinsuke's not going to be one of those guys where there's this, this explosion of mainstream fans going, I need to go to a live event to see this guy in person, and I need to get the network because I can't miss one of his matches. He is so special, and I, I hope that Vince McMahon recognizes it and is able to use the power of the WWE machine to make 2017 the year of Shinsuke, uh, whether it's the first half, the second half, or the whole year, whatever. Um, get him on the main roster while he can still go. I'm glad that he's not hurting himself and killing himself out there in NXT, but when that big match comes and he has that spotlight and the right opponent, I, I just think that's going to be what people are talking about. I think that's an awesome call. Well, I could talk to you forever, obviously. I've uh, yep. <laughs> I've, I've, I've kept you longer than I told you I would. Uh, no problem. Wade Keller, why don't you tell everybody again uh, where they can find you? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I host uh, the PW Torch Livecast. You can find it at pwtorchlivecast.com or subscribe on iTunes and podcast apps. Every, every Monday, right after Raw, as soon as Raw goes off the air, sometimes in the last 30 seconds of the show, I'm on the air. We do an hour or so reviewing it with a mix of co-hosts. Same thing Tuesdays after SmackDown. Wednesdays, I do a midweek show at 1 Eastern with a rotation of co-hosts, including Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net, just had Sean Radican on, John Arezzi from the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, uh, who paved the way for what we do uh, back in the late 80s through the mid-90s in New York with the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show. He, he does my show on a regular basis. Real good mix of uh, co-hosts. Then I do interview Thursday. Then we have some other hosts uh, on the other days. And we do post-pay-per-view shows, too. So that, that's the main thing. If you've enjoyed hearing me talk to Sam, check me out at pwtorchlivecast.com. If, uh, if you want to go VIP, well, I'll throw a coupon code out. Um, uh, SAM17. That's easy to remember. People can get 75% off a uh, one-month VIP subscription. If they go to pwtorch.com slash govip, uh, pwtorch.com slash govip, coupon code SAM17. And uh, you can read all about everything that comes with the VIP membership there. And uh, use the coupon code SAM17 to take $7.50 off uh, one month subscription to give us a try. Well, thank you for uh, for being so generous with your time. Obviously, all that has my endorsement, as always. And uh, have, uh, have a good New Year, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I should say pwtorch.com. PWTorch.com. Yes, yes, yes. And we're covering Ronda Rousey on our sister brand Friday night. That's going to be fun. MMATorch.com. Um, so there. Now, now I got my extra plug. <laughs> Sam, uh, thank you. I, I, you're right. We can talk forever about wrestling, and you've been on my show, and uh, it, I, I always enjoy it. And uh, it was fun seeing you on the pregame show, too. Oh, thank you very much, man. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. I finally learned what you look like. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> No, no, no. That's, you've got a distinct look. It's great. It's part of your brand. I love it. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Happy New Year. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah. Here is Sam Roberts. After we were done uh, recording that, I got a message from Wade Keller, and he said, I can't believe we recapped all of 2016 and didn't mention Goldberg once. Yeah, that was quite an oversight. I mean, it really does go to tell you. Like, I... I 
feel like a lot happened in 2016 that's more uh, overarching. Like, I think the Cena stuff is this sort of bigger picture thing. And in terms of talent and storyline, it's bigger picture. Like, a lot, a lot of bigger picture stuff started to happen that I think is going to shape the way wrestling looks for a lot of years to come. But yeah, Goldberg beating Brock Lesnar at the end of the year in a minute and a half was absolutely a moment that should be highlighted for 2016 and and for a long time. And part of that is the context of this was after Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker, and part of it is the context of Goldberg coming back after all these years. And it is just, it, it was it was remarkable enough that I had to jump on here and record a bonus State of Wrestling show that would run first thing Monday morning. You know, that's, that's what a big deal it was. So uh, I did want to take a, a moment to mention that that was a huge, huge deal in the world of, of pro wrestling. And... You know, I'm interested to see. I, I would assume that the direction that things are heading to is a rematch between Goldberg and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. I would love to see Brock Lesnar win that match, if I'm being honest with you. Um, but to me, it's a little bit of a shame that that Goldberg victory isn't being used to launch Goldberg into a different space so that maybe the Goldberg victory could go to, whether it's a John Cena, whether it's a Kevin Owens, whether it's a Seth Rollins, whether it's an Undertaker, you know what I mean? I, I would love to see Goldberg wrestle somebody other than Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Uh, but either way, it's going to be a spectacle to see, and, and hopefully Goldberg will not win whatever match he has at WrestleMania. I do not think he'll win the Royal Rumble, but I'm excited to see it. I mean, I'm very excited for the Royal Rumble this year. Uh, I, uh, leave it... Well, you know what? As I talk about the Royal Rumble, I realize that I am drifting into a space that is talking about what's going on, not over the year, but over this week in the world of pro wrestling. So let's slip it right into the state of wrestling. What do you say? It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. So leave it to John Cena to get me excited for another John Cena-AJ Styles match. I have to tell you, my wife is looking at me. I'm watching SmackDown this week, and as the show is ending, right before Neville's promo, which, by the way, Neville has been crushing. Neville has been crushing it with his promo work. And I think that there's some real life in there. I think that's why it's so good. I think there's some real, real Neville that's sitting there going, look, it's true. I do deserve more attention. I have been forgotten. I mean, let's be honest, this is a guy that's been working Strictly House shows for, I think, a couple of months. He didn't just heal his injury and come right back to TV and start this cruiserweight thing. He was just not on TV after his injury. And even before his injury, you know, he got the highlight in the very beginning, but other than that, this is a former NXT champion, and he did not come in and maintain that NXT champion rub. So I think there's some real life in there. Pac was an international superstar in the world of independent wrestling, and that didn't carry over in WWE with Neville. So I think that there's some, some truth to his gripe about feeling like he was forgotten by the WWE universe and probably by the WWE as well. 
so, and when you can base a storyline around reality, as I've said a hundred times, and as I thought was why the uh, Natalia stuff and the Miz stuff was so good last week on SmackDown, when you can get a storyline that's based in reality, it makes it that much better and believable. So I've been loving, loving Neville's mic work. But at the end of SmackDown, watching Cena and AJ Styles in the ring together, I just mumbled out loud, that's, that's so cool. The AJ Styles-John Cena match at the Royal Rumble, even though it already happened at SummerSlam, still feels like a dream match. And I love what John Cena has been doing. We alluded to this a little bit when Wade Keller was on. John Cena coming in, he's not coming in as strictly good guy. This is not the old John Cena that would come in and be like, you know what? Some of these fans, they like me. Some of them, they hate me. And some of them love AJ Styles. And some of them boo AJ Styles. But let me tell you something. I need to know that I'm the best. So AJ, why don't you put up or shut up and give me another shot at that type. Like, no, it's not that John Cena. John Cena's coming in now. Like, this idea that it's it's this uh, uh, new era of superstars is a positive thing. You're now talking about Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, Dean Ambrose, everybody, everybody coming in now, Finn Balor. You're talking about this whole new group of people and John Cena saying, guess what? He's actually owning his spot, right? For so long, John Cena has played up on his humility and almost tried to portray himself as an underdog. And... You know, when he was wrestling The Rock, when that was the storyline we were getting, yeah, okay, I could see him being the underdog. But even then, even when it was true, it's still difficult to take John Cena seriously as the underdog. That's why this thing with Roman Reigns has been so tough. In terms of Roman finding his spot with the WWE Universe, I think, is because nobody feels sorry for the guy. Roman Reigns has every gift that God could give to a person in terms of looks, in terms of athletic ability, in terms of strength, in terms of everything. He gets every opportunity anybody could ever get to be a star in WWE. He's gotten every title. He's won the Royal Rumble. Like He gets everything. So it becomes very, very difficult to feel sorry for him. Now, if he were just coming out and kicking everybody's ass, then it would be kind of fun to cheer for him, I think. If you were coming out, like, if you knew, right, if Kevin Owens retains his title at Roadblock and he does it in such a way that it's obviously unfair and he screwed Roman Reigns out of a victory, if you know as a fan that next Monday night, tomorrow night on Raw, there is going to be hell to pay. And Roman Reigns is basically going to do what Braun Strowman is doing now. We love Braun Strowman. Well, I mean, do you hear when you're watching a match and Braun Strowman's music hits, it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to come and raise hell. We want to see the chaos. That's what we want to see from Roman. That's what we want to see. We want to know that when Roman gets screwed out of a title victory, the way he was at Roadblock with the disqualification and Jericho doing it intentionally, that Roman is going to come and tear people's heads off. Roman should, they should be having to stop Roman from murdering 
Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho. Stephanie McMahon should feel like Roman, like like Stephanie needs to feel like she's got a tiger on a leash with Roman Reigns. And at the moment, everything is fine. The tiger is sitting on his stool. But at at, at any given second, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, lock eyes for too long. Tigers don't like extended eye contact. Anything could happen. And Roman could snap and the tiger could turn on his master. And if the tiger turns on his master, the master is dead. Siegfried and Roy was an established Las Vegas show for years. Guess what happened? A tiger decided it was time for the show to end, and boy did that show end in a hurry. That's Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns needs to feel so threatening that maybe he decides it's time to turn on his master and Monday Night Raw is over because you messed with the bull and now you're going to get the horns. Ask the You think everybody walks out of the running of the bulls okay? No, people die. People die at the running of the bulls. You know why? Because they're running away from bulls and bulls are stronger than people. Roman Reigns needs to be stronger than people. He looks like he's stronger than people. He acts like he's stronger than people. He needs to be an angry Superman. The Superman punch, he needs to be bizarro Superman, okay? He needs to be Superman but selfish. Because Superman, if you mistreat him, that's fine. As long as you treat the people of Metropolis properly. But with Roman, he shouldn't care how the people of Metropolis are treated. He should just make sure that Clark Kent's boss isn't pushing him around. Because if Clark Kent wanted to, he could snap his boss's neck. And that's the Superman Roman Reigns that we want to see. That's why the one time that Roman Reigns has ever gotten the reaction that he used to get right around the time of the shield was when he finally had enough and he ripped Triple H's face off. You remember that pay-per-view? I don't remember. I think it was like in December of 2014, leading into 2015. It was when he tore Triple H's face off at the pay-per-view because he had had enough. That's the Roman Reigns we need to see, and we're not seeing him. And Roman Reigns is not doesn't work as a nice guy. I I I would be so hard on the Roman Reigns bandwagon, whatever that means, if Roman Reigns were an animal that people were trying to, it's okay, Roman, it's okay, Roman, like, that's, I want Roman Reigns to be Cujo, and he could be, and he should be, he should be, that character should be, based on the amount of times he's been screwed out of the opportunities he's been given, based on the amount of booze that the fans are giving him, okay, it's time for Roman to snap, he doesn't even have to be a bad guy, he absolutely doesn't have to be a bad guy, he has to take no crap from anybody, though, and Roman Reigns takes crap at the moment, and I don't believe he should. In real life, I doubt he does. And he shouldn't. He's the man. I've spoken to him in real life. He's a fantastic man. Love the guy. Guess what? I wouldn't mess with him. Because he's a good guy. And because he could tear my face off. That's what I think we want to see on TV. John Cena coming out now. He's not turning into evil John Cena. But he is coming out and saying, look... I'm John Cena. That's exactly what he said on SmackDown. 
I know some of you are saying I might not deserve a title shot. Tough. I'm John Cena. I'm taking it. You saw me on SNL, right? Okay, cool. Well, I'm back, and now I'm going to get a title shot. Thanks. I'm John Cena. Stop me then. Somebody, okay. No, you're right. I haven't earned it. I just got back after months. Somebody stop me. Somebody take it from me. Oh, you can't? Cool. Well, then I'll take the title shot. You know, he's using his power. And he's coming out and saying, look, maybe you forgot. Or maybe I was being too humble. But I'm the man. And I know it's cute that the whole new era is here. But I'm the guy. And it creates this thing where... He doesn't actually have to turn into a bad guy. But theoretically, all the fans of Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens and the Wyatt family and Finn Balor and and everybody should be sitting there rooting for AJ Styles to win. And by the way, a lot of them will be. A lot of people will be cheering for AJ Styles to win because the match has been set up kind of perfectly. It's not about good guy versus bad guy. It's not about James Ellsworth. It's about, arguably, the two best wrestlers on the planet competing for the WWE Championship. I love the match, and I'm looking forward to it, and I'm honestly happy whoever wins. If I had to pick one at this moment, I'd rather AJ Styles win at the Royal Rumble. But... My gut would instinct would tell me that John Cena will probably win, but I'm happy either way. I think it's going to be a fantastic match. I think John Cena is has been so underrated for so long in terms of the quality of matches that he's able to have uh, with some of the top talent in the world. Uh, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. And it's making Royal Rumble with your you've got uh, uh, you've got. Roman versus Kevin Owens one more time with Jericho in the cage above the ring. Okay. You know, I can be with that. You've got Cena versus AJ Styles, which again is feeling like a dream match. All of a sudden, and then you got the Royal Rumble match that I believe all we know right now is that Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, I mean Brock Lesnar and Goldberg are both going to be in the Royal Rumble match itself. I get excited for that. I get excited for the Royal Rumble match now. There's just, there's a lot. And it's making it feel like a can't-miss show, which which is awesome. Which is, because that's, it's making it, they're doing a good job of turning Royal Rumble, because it started with SummerSlam. SummerSlam felt big. And that was just the beginning of the brand split. Survivor Series felt huge. Royal Rumble's going to feel huge. I think this year's WrestleMania is going to feel bigger than ever. And and to me, it's working with the big four. And a big part of that is the John Cena-AJ Styles match. And it's also really, really good for SmackDown. Um, I thought Raw and SmackDown were both great this week. Raw is, again, it's on a roll. Raw is better than it has been in a long, long time. Uh, I mentioned Stephanie McMahon's CM Punk line with Wade Keller earlier. I thought it was brilliant. I thought Stephanie definitely had a great week on Raw. Um, I'll tell you, uh, I love, again, Braun Strowman's reaction. I was um, I was a little surprised by the Dusty Rhodes, Bailey Bear storyline. Uh, I know Cody Rhodes had tweeted something about it. I'm not one... 
to say that anything is off limits in the world of WWE, in the world of wrestling, in the world of whatever. But I kind of felt a little weird about, and I like the idea of Gallows and Anderson being horrible people and being bullies and being assholes and being whatever you want to say. I don't mind Gallows and Anderson ripping the head off a Dusty Rhodes teddy bear. It's over the line, but that's fine. They're bad guys. They're like traditional bad guys. I don't mind that happening. I was a little surprised that it happened on just a just to set up a match on Raw. You know, if that were leading to a spot on pay-per-view, if we were all of a sudden going to see a more serious version of Goldust and and have him remind people uh, of how much he's done and what he's capable of and blah, 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 then I'd be okay with it. I was a little, I, I was a little turned off at the idea of that being just a thing to set up a match on Raw. Um, you know, I, I thought Corey Graves on commentary was doing a decent job of explaining that he was basically, Corey Graves has, is brilliant, and he figured out a way on commentary to say without saying that Dusty Rhodes would have wanted that to be part of a storyline because he would put the show first. I, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I didn't know Dusty Rhodes. Uh, but I, I do think that that moment could have been used to further something a lot bigger, and maybe it will, but I doubt it. Um, I don't mind the moment. I just mind that it was used to such a short-term benefit. You know, it just it doesn't seem worth it to do something that sort of, uh, that sort of over the line. Um, so that's how I felt about that. Uh, I I thought, you know, it was interesting to see Charlie was in, I don't even know how many segments. Charlie Caruso, I think is her last name. I don't know how many segments she was in, but she was all over the show. And I thought it was great because it really started to feel, and especially the fact that she was in a ton of different locations. She wasn't just in front of a, a monitor doing kind of staged interviews all night. She was uh, in the entranceway, and she was backstage, and she was in the parking lot. She's over here. She's over there. All of a sudden, it feels like there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on on Monday Night Raw. And, you know, I'm the Monday Night Raw reporter, and I'm just trying to keep up with everything that's happening. And it gives you the feeling as a viewer, like, man, I can't change the channel. There's so much stuff. There's something going on here. There's something going on there. And I think that's the way the show should be built. So I was happy to see that. I also love, the more I think about it, the more I really feel like Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho are this generation's mega powers. The build, and people, you know, I said that on Twitter this week, and a couple people were like, oh, the writers today, they have no patience for the blah, blah, blah. It's like, yes, they do. Even if they blew up Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens now, didn't wait till WrestleMania, it still is the longest build of any uh, that I can remember. You know, the patience is there. This is a long play story. You know, Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho first started teaming in the summer. They got the victory over Enzo and Cass at SummerSlam. And I remember thinking, like, why would Enzo and Cass lose a match to two guys? They, I mean, I know Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho are a big deal. But they just kind of threw them together. They're just two bad guys in a team. And then they really started to get on a roll, especially after Kevin Owens won the title. I don't think it's been the greatest thing in the world for the Universal title. 
and I probably has taken a little bit away from Kevin Owens' title run, but it's it's a bad guy title run, you know. I don't think Kevin Owens is supposed to come across as this badass like prize fighter, all fight anybody, dude, because he's a bad guy right now. And the prize fighter, I'm a badass guy, is a guy that's going to get cheered. Um, and and I think that this is a way to make him a bad guy, and it's an effective way. And I've been enjoying every bit of it, and I think it's going to make for a huge WrestleMania match. At this point, I don't see how they could spoil it. I mean, there may be a Raw pay-per-view before WrestleMania. I know that SmackDown's doing Elimination Chamber. I believe I read it online before WrestleMania. So I would assume there'll be a Raw pay-per-view as well before WrestleMania. And one would hope that they don't blow that match on the pay-per-view before WrestleMania. But you can only assume that something is going to happen at the Royal Rumble that begins to tear the foundation of that team apart and the real breakup happens. Not dissimilar from the Mega Powers. Hogan eliminating Macho Man at the Royal Rumble. Macho Man finally coming forward and admitting that he knew that Hulk Hogan had lust in his eyes, brother. That was important. You know, and this is where we find out that Chris Jericho never forgave Kevin Owens for saying that the list was stupid. And by the way, Kevin Owens, of course, is Macho Man in this. Like, Kevin Owens is the bad guy. Chris Jericho is 100% the good guy because people love the list so much. Who would have thought people love the list that much? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I am loving the Mega Powers-like build, and I can't wait. And it's a bad guy Mega Powers. That's what makes it so different and unique. You don't really see that. And I, I can't wait for this explosion because I really think they're going to do it right. This isn't going to be one of those things where a tag team breaks up and they have the one-on-one match against each other on the next episode of Raw and then they kind of forget the team ever existed and just move on. This is going to be a huge, huge deal. And I'm very, very anxious to see it. I think it's going to be so much fun when the match finally happens. And I'm, I'm interested to see how the guys come out of it. Like, will Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho be better off for it? I think Chris Jericho definitely will be. I think Kevin Owens could be. It's just a matter of uh, of seeing what happens. SmackDown was also great. Raw and SmackDown, both amazing. And, and I was talking to somebody about it. It's like, it's so funny. I guess depending on on the mood of the people in charge, sometimes historically over a holiday week, like over the week between New Year's and Christmas, you would just see throwaway episodes of WWE TV. You know, it'd be like a best of Raw or the Santa Claus, like an episode where like storyline doesn't even matter anymore. And it's Alberto Del Rio who just turned into a good guy the week before hitting Santa with a car. And now he's got to spend the night being on the naughty list or something, you know, something stupid like that. That it is literally just, we're going to do an episode, but it's going to have no bearing on the storyline. Or they go the other direction and they put out a, an amazing Raw that furthers everything and a pay-per-view quality SmackDown. I don't know why those decisions get made. It kind of feels like it's just the way people are feeling at the moment. But I'm glad that the decisions that were made were made at this point. Uh, I'm glad those wild card finals finally happened. 
you know, we, we saw the wild card building and building and building. It's about time they got to the finals. I don't know what wild card finals mean. I don't know what that means. I, I'll take it, but it wasn't a wild card. Like, Dolph Ziggler earned the number one contendership. Like, everybody, there was a reason for all the matches. There was no wild card. Like, Becky and Alexa Bliss, what, what was a wild card about that? It was the former champion facing the current champion. It's not a wild card. In a tag team turmoil match, I guess, because anybody could win. It's kind of a wild card, but it's the top four teams. It'd be like a wild card if, like, the vaude villains got a tag title shot. If it were actually a wild card show, it would be a waste of a show because the people who had the wild cards would just lose because otherwise they'd be number one contender. <laughs> but um, but it was a great episode of SmackDown. You know, I love American Alpha. I've loved him for a long time. If I said that I wasn't disappointed that the Wyatts lost the titles, I'd be lying. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like building American Alpha, keeping them away from the tag team championships and having them beat other tag teams for a while would be okay because I think whether you expected it or not, it turned out we were really onto something with the Wyatts and the idea of them running roughshod over SmackDown is a fun thing. Like I would I would really like to see American Alpha and the Wyatts go two on well, I guess two on three, whatever it is, uh, at the Royal Rumble and have the Wyatts reclaim those titles. Because I, I, I don't think the Wyatts have had enough time because the Wyatts with Randy Orton have been great. And and once they got Luke Harper on the same page where you're not like constantly flirting with this idea that they could break up at any moment and they're actually like give them a run as a strong three-man team then you figure out some way to break them up but if you're like speculating from the moment they get together that there could be some dissension in the ranks then you know you never really get on board with it and it ends up not being that huge of a deal when the thing collapses because you saw it coming a mile away so I, 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 would, I would have liked to have seen the Wyatts hold those titles for a while, and hopefully they'll get them back from American Alpha soon. Uh, that said, you know, American Alpha is just, they deserve to be champions. I just think that we, we struck on something with the new Wyatt family, especially using the Freebird rule, uh, that we weren't necessarily expecting to, to strike on. And I, I think it's something you got to take advantage of. When you strike on something that you didn't see coming, uh, you got to take advantage of it. And I think that's what needs to happen with the Wyatts right now, especially as long as the Wyatts were misused. Uh, you know, so and it sucks because you know you've been wanting to see American Alpha win those titles for a long time. But I, I mean, I still think you can you can hold off on American Alpha and let the Wyatts have this moment because. If you don't let the Wyatts have this moment, they might. That, it was the first time they had a moment. So if you don't let them have this moment, uh, you know, I, I, I worry about the future of the team. Uh, I loved the, the women's title match. I thought that the, uh, the idea of there being another La Luchadora is so much fun. Uh, who knew? You know, it's. I love it when superstars have like hidden talents that you never knew they had and they're real life but then you can you can add them into the character the idea that alexa bliss can dislocate her elbow like that 
and really make it look like, oh my God, what happened? And use it as a distraction. It's just this really fun addition to this character that we didn't know was possible before. And to take it out during the wildcard finals, I think is appropriate and, and cool. I thought that was, I, that, that was awesome. Um, I also thought it was awesome that uh, it looked like they replaced the replica SmackDown Women's Championship belt. It seemed like the title that they had been using for since the inception of the SmackDown Women's title appeared to be a replica. It didn't bend right. It looked like one of the replica titles that you can buy on WWE Shop. This was the first week, unless I've missed it earlier, this was the first week on SmackDown that it looked like we were dealing with a real championship title belt. So good on you, Alexa Bliss. You've got a legit championship. Love it. No more replicas, baby. No more replicas. Um, And, of course, everybody knows what a big Baron Corbin fan I am. So seeing Baron Corbin, as we talked about with Wade, hang in there in that uh, that world title match uh, was really good. Uh, I I was interested. I was wondering what would happen with James Ellsworth after last week. Um, Carmella thing is interesting. I think it's the right way to go, and I'm really glad that as fun as it was, uh, it, the timing was great. I think one more week of James Ellsworth being a part of the world title picture and you would start to get into a situation where you've... The value of the WWE Championship is now being put into question because you've got a fun gag with James Ellsworth. Whereas now... You have AJ who, over the past two weeks, has reminded everybody why he's the champion. And you still get to goof on James Ellsworth. I would imagine Vince McMahon wrote the James Ellsworth segment himself. Can you imagine that man laughing at making James Ellsworth just list everything that was wrong with him and why everybody laughs at him? He's a man after my own heart because I thought it was downright hilarious. You know... On account of the fact that I have no chin. <laughs> We're building sympathy. I'll bet we are. I'll bet we are. You're just having a good time. And God bless you for it. God bless you indeed. Hey, man. Thanks to everybody for uh, for, for hanging out with us. Uh, I'm going to try to do a lot more fun stuff. It's been an amazing 2016 for me, uh, especially in the world of, of WWE. Uh, I'm still... You know, I'm only a week and a half removed from doing the Roadblock kickoff show. So I'm still kind of, you know, getting the shakes off from that. Uh, but it's been an amazing, it's been an amazing year. And I thank all of you guys, especially, for for helping me and helping us get to where we've gotten. It's been fun, and we're going to have a lot more fun in 2017. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, leave a review, five-star ranking, Do everything that you can. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Make sure that all your friends know about this uh, wrestling podcast. You know, I feel like if you like wrestling podcasts, I don't see why you wouldn't like Sam Roberts' wrestling podcast, right? It's the best commercial I could think of. I'll see you next week back here on Sam Roberts' wrestling podcast. Oh, boy, am I excited to get into it again. And by it, I mean wrestling. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet Essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.